You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. This pandemic of 2020 has dealt a painful blow to individuals, companies, and local governments across the nation. The economic losses have hit every state, but we're now seeing an uneven recovery from market to market. Real estate seems to be an overall winner with home sales surging in most markets. But as real estate investors, we still need to look at where jobs will come back the fastest. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. With me today is John Boyd of The Boyd Company. His company provides real estate and management counsel to major North American companies like Boeing, Chevron, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Visa International. He's here to explain how the U.S. business environment is changing because of COVID-19 and why that will turn some markets into winners and some into losers. So, John, welcome back to The Real Wealth Show. Hi, Kathy. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, it's always good to have you here. Uh, it's definitely different times today than the last time that we spoke. And surprisingly, real estate seems to be having a V-shaped recovery. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, the real estate market thus far has really avoided some of the worst-case scenarios that uh, many business people feared at the outset of the, the COVID uh, epidemic. Uh, housing starts are up over 20% since uh, the, some of the highest levels we've seen since October of 2016. New permit activity uh, is up significantly. Uh, the nation's largest home builders are having soaring stock prices. Uh, D.R. Horton, uh, Lennar, and Pulte Homes up 40%. So all of that is indicative of a, a relatively strong housing market. It's really shocking. Are there, are there areas that are rebounding faster than others? Look, the, the big trend in real estate today is the unprecedented migration away from large urban cities to suburban locales, uh, in particular markets that have low taxes, the lack of the type of social unrest that we're seeing in, in major cities like Chicago and New York, uh, and also in a myriad of attractive mixed-use options for remote workers. So that's one growth spot in particular that I would highlight. It's, it's multifamily, it's density, and it's millennial-friendly mixed-use developments now, that offer the type of lifestyle amenities that tech workers fleeing San Francisco would expect to have in a suburban Cincinnati or a suburban Houston or a suburban Austin, for example. Now, are you saying that people from San Francisco are moving to Cincinnati? Well, look, uh, we're seeing an unprecedented out-migration out of the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eighty times the number of people moving in or moving out of San Francisco since March uh, 2020 because of the the social unrest, because of some of the lifestyle uh, hardships associated with the COVID-19 shutdowns, and, of course, the new tax hikes on the horizon. California, in particular, a reversal of Prop 13, which will dramatically increase property taxes for commercial and industrial businesses, and the new wealth tax, which will position California as one of the the least desirable places for high net worth individuals to reside. You know, New Jersey tried this, and it didn't seem to work out very well. There was an exodus to Florida from New Jersey, and this was before COVID. Of course, after COVID, it's really increased. Uh, but you would think that maybe that people, that, you know, governors would learn from that, but it doesn't seem to be the case. No, uh, you know, and 
there's now migration prior to COVID out of New York and New Jersey and California. Uh, New, New Jersey has lost hundreds of thousands of people over the past five years uh, because of escalating tax increases and because of this per perpetual state of, of fiscal uncertainty where the next big tax increase is always right around the corner. And with all of the new technology that makes remote workforce possible, it's not just businesses that are increasingly mobile, it's professionals that want to live in lower taxed uh, markets. And one of the, what really underscores this is for the first time in the history of the census, California is going to lose representation in Washington. And so is New York State, okay? And that signals a decline in political clout. While states like Texas and Florida are gaining electoral representation and gaining seats in Congress. And that becomes another business climate advantage. It becomes a, another economic development recruiting tool for Texas and Florida to say that, you know, move here and you'll have more advocates fighting for you in Washington, D.C. Mm. Well, if many of those new voters in those states are coming from California, they might see their politics change as well. Right. You know, that, that, that could be something that, that happens. It's, you know, we've seen that in, in Virginia as Northern Virginia has become more democratic. It's become, it's made more Virginia more of a, a more of a battleground state. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out. I think many of the people, the professionals leaving California, leaving New York and leaving New Jersey, they're, they're really voting with their mobility and they're choosing to live in a market that is not in this perpetual fiscal crisis where the next big tax increase is right around the corner. That may translate into you know, a sustained uh, new wave of, of, of voters that are going to support fiscal responsibility and low taxes. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, that, that will be interesting to follow. So looking at different real estate asset classes, we know that housing is really booming. I mean, it's it's more than a V-shaped recovery. It's more like a, a check. <laughs> you know, it's like it's coming back stronger than even before uh, the, uh, the pandemic hit. What would you say about the other asset classes? Are they just going to get hammered or will we see them come back as well? Well, clearly the industrial segment is positioned for a strong rebound. We're seeing that with uh, increased demand for new warehousing space. It's estimated that a billion square feet of new industrial space will be, uh, there'll be a demand for that over the next five years. That's related, of course, to the rise and, and sustained growth of e-commerce, as well as the reshoring trend of, of manufacturing. Okay, but on the, on, the, on the housing front, again, a lot of this is driven by multifamily. It's driven by a move towards the suburbs and mixed-use developments. Mixed-use developments are becoming a real site selection recruiting tool for cities around the country. It's becoming part of a comprehensive economic development strategy. It's having a pro-growth, developer-friendly model to welcome these types of new projects. Mm. And look, with respect to residential, I mean, historic low financing opportunities, record low mortgage rates. We expect that to continue because of a decline in consumer debt. Uh, the mortgages and forbearance today, where we're seeing people actually pay while in forbearance, we're seeing also, uh, you know, the federal government want more cash in the system with their, uh, you know, they have a vested interest to keep rates as low as possible also. So I think those also provide some, some headwinds, if you will, for, or tailwinds, if you will, for uh, the housing market to continue its, its strong rebound. 
I would think you might have your finger on the pulse of this next question, which is if there is infrastructure growth happening in this country, if, if jobs are coming back to America and more manufacturing coming back to America, where are we seeing that? And are those areas going to boom as a result of it? Right. A common denominator among states that are attracting reshoring industry are states that have a right to work law. States like uh, the Carolinas, uh, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. Also states that have low tax structures that are attracting skilled workers, as well as companies that want to move to a, a state that has a more competitive corporate income tax rate. That's one of the reasons why you know, Texas has attracted so many Fortune 500 headquarter projects out of California in recent years. Most recently, Charles Schwab and McKesson, okay, that have relocated to Texas from, from the Bay Area. This is a trend that we're, that we're going to see continue. I mean, the 24-hour news cycle is really focused on jobs and the economic recovery. And with these new tax hikes on the horizon in California, we expect that to be a catalyst for more projects to relocate to states like Nevada, Arizona, Utah, and, of course, Texas. Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas, too, or not as much? Yes. Yeah, so look, um, you know, we, we've seen this trend prior to COVID. Florida has really become what's termed Wall Street South. Some of the nation's largest money managers have relocated to Miami and to Palm Beach County over the past several years because of the tax advantages. You know, the phenomenon that we're seeing in Florida is that, you know, high net worth individuals and job creators are no longer calling Florida their second home. Okay, They're making Florida their primary residence. They're bringing their businesses here. And they're encouraging their, their contemporaries and their peers to do the same. And COVID surely has accelerated that trend. I mean, New York City has lost almost 500,000 people since March when the COVID shutdowns began. Many of these transferees, or many of these people relocating out of New York are staying, they're going to stay in the Hamptons or they're going to buy a home in suburban New Jersey, or they're going to make Florida their primary. And we're seeing that happen really at an unprecedented rate. Our clients are, especially in the financial service industry, are asking us to identify attractive opportunities in South Florida, you know, Broward County, uh, Miami-Dade, and of course, Palm Beach County. And these were, again, these were trends that were already in play before COVID. We already knew that the Southeast was one of the fastest growing parts of the U.S. because of the state laws and the, the low state income taxes. So again, it's only accelerated as people are looking for an affordable place to live. Uh, and where there are jobs and, and again, low taxes. So are we seeing any um, infrastructure money coming from the government? I know there's been talk. The president has talked about wanting to improve the infrastructure of the country. Is that happening? Are, are any states or cities receiving funds for that? Well, you'd love to think that if there's anything both parties in Washington could agree on, it would be infrastructure, uh, roads and bridges and port investments to make our nation more competitive globally to attract reshoring projects. Sadly, we're, we're, we're not seeing the types of infrastructure, bipartisan work that, that we'd like to see. We're also in the midst of a very competitive election cycle. Let's see how this plays out, but there's, there's some real opportunities for infrastructure to really help drive economic activity in this country. And related to investing in ports, again, roads and bridges, even broadband extending into more rural areas. We talked about the rise of the suburban market in a post-COVID-19 environment. You know, rural markets are also on the radar screen like never before for projects. 
That's incredible. I mean, we took some big risks a couple of years ago and bought land in those rural areas, but in, in uh, what has historically been more touristy, like outside of Bozeman, where people could be 45 minutes away from Big Sky and, and uh, you know, some great skiing and great fishing and climbing and all sorts of things. Uh, we got the land for cheap, so it just seemed like it would be a good thing. Well, it's been a great thing. I mean, we had lots for sale, um, you know, contracts signed before we even had the horizontal uh, construction done. So massive demand for people to live where they want to live, where they thought they would retire. But now it turns out they can actually live there sooner because they can work from home. Many people, not everyone. Yeah, That's right. And, you know, the remote working was a trend prior to COVID. Roughly 5% of the labor force worked remotely prior to COVID. Clearly COVID has accelerated this trend. Now over 40% of the workforce is working remotely. You have signature employers like J.P. Morgan Chase, Facebook and Apple and Nationwide doing aggressive work from home policies until the vaccine is, is widely available. But the cost savings are just enormous. Companies want to reduce their brick and mortar real estate commitments and enjoy the operating cost savings that come along with that. And workers increasingly want the flexibility to work from home at least part of the time. So we envision more of a hybrid solution moving forward where the office is almost like a space shuttle station where you have workers reporting on a periodic basis. You know, but the old model of nine to five doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, things are changing. So overall, I mean, we, like I said, we're seeing a V-shaped recovery in housing. Do you think we're going to see it overall in the economy? Like, do at any point or more U-shaped? I know you've probably been asked that question a lot, but things change every day. I think so much depends upon a vaccine. And President Trump's comments over the weekend about having a vaccine prior to the November election, I think that sent a great signal to job traders and to the business community. Uh, sadly, you have uh, this hyper-partisan situation that we're in today where so many people, because of their opposition to the president, want to politi politicize this. But at the end of the day, I think getting a vaccine in this, uh, this quickly is a real testament to American, the American innovative spirit and our ability to accomplish things with our, our supply chain capabilities. Uh, this should be really a rallying cry. This should be analogous to putting a man on the moon uh, back in the 60s. And you'd like to think this will ins inspire the next generation of scientists uh, to really look at this as a real case study of what America is capable of. And everybody wins with, with the vaccine. That's really, really, uh, I think, what people are waiting, to, waiting for with respect to, we talked about a return to uh, something that's closer to what normal was a few months ago. Yeah, that, that is what's frustrating. We, we learned a lot over the last six months that we need to be manufacturing some of our own things, especially the things we need the most, which would be medical supplies. I mean, boy, did we learn that the hard way. But when we talk about bringing jobs back, well, that's synonymous with Trump, and there is so much hate for him that, oh, you know, I, I just don't know if we'll be, be, be able to move forward as quickly on that as, as we need to as a country. But anyway, um, do, you, do you think there's a chance that the new infrastructure bill will pass? I, I, I do believe that. I think once the, once the election in November is over, I think it's an opportunity for both parties to do something to, to spur the economy. Uh, right now, there, there's difficulty. Uh, there's other, other pressing matters. So I don't expect anything to happen on infrastructure prior to the November election. Uh, but regardless of who is the president, 
uh, who wins this election, there's going to be an appetite in this nation for infrastructure spending. And it's an opportunity for, for both parties to work together and to promote job growth. And this is a catalyst for job creation. Again, investing in our nation's critical infrastructure. And what, what would it take to bring manufacturing back? I mean, is it just obviously labor was cheaper elsewhere? Uh, but in, in a country where we have a lot of job losses, maybe not so much anymore. Maybe they, we really need those jobs. Uh, what, you know, what would it take for America to be an attractive place for manufacturing? Reshoring was a focus of this administration prior to COVID. Okay, the, the corporate income tax cut to 21% made the nation more competitive globally. The pro-business energy policy is something that job traders liked. The streamlining of regulations, of course, promoted and helped create the, the lowest unemployment rate that we've seen under, under this president prior to COVID-19. So the ingredients are in place, okay, for a quick recovery, okay, because of these, these fundamentals, these business climate advantages. Prior to COVID, you had a number of trophy projects like Samsung, happens to be a client of ours, a BMW, Volvo, doing massive projects here in the U.S. that a decade or so ago would have been in Mexico or Canada or Asia because of the uncompetitive tax rate here in the U.S. So we are more competitive because of the tax rate and cut and the streamlining of regulations. And also this, you know, they call economics the dismal science. For every negative, there's a positive. One of the positives associated with COVID-19, it really put a spotlight on the nation's costly over-reliance upon Asia for our, our supply chains. And we expect, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry, a new wave of manufacturing here in the U.S. People are surprised to know that less than 20% of active pharmaceutical ingredients are produced here in the U.S. So when, when you factor in the hidden costs associated with that reliance upon Asia's supply chains, it becomes even less desirable okay, to offshore these productions. It's not enough anymore to look at labor cost savings. You have to factor in these hidden costs associated with supply chains. And of course, the branding value of Made in the USA, that's something both parties agree on, that there's a, a branding component, a value to producing goods and services here in the US. And if you want to do business with the federal government, uh, it's very difficult to be a player in the federal procurement market if you're not producing goods and services here in the US. Mm -hmm. And would you say that's a new policy from this administration, or has it been that way? It is. I mean, Trump has, has really prioritized that, but Biden's also talked about it, America first. Uh, we expect him to continue that trend of really tightening the screws on companies and incentivizing companies to, to produce their products here. That's another catalyst for reshoring. One of the reasons Airbus is doing their major expansions in Alabama is because they want to compete with Boeing and Lockheed for U.S. government contracts. And to do that, they want a strong presence here in the U.S. All right. When did so much of our manufacturing go offshore and why? You know, people talk about the early 90s. They talk about NAFTA has really been a major catalyst that forever changed the U.S. supply chain structure. But it's been you know, years and years of bad business policy, years of tax increases, years of, of an environmental policy that's punished job creators. And, uh, you know, a lot of the excessive regulation that we've seen. And this is an administration really ran on a platform of reshoring and making America more competitive. And look, the results are hard to argue with. We had uh, 
unemployment at 3% prior to COVID. The last jobs report, February of 2020, we were at 3% unemployment. We had rising wages. We had job growth in all segments of, of the population. That's a testament to pro-growth, pro-job policies like streamlining regulations and cutting taxes. So we are, I mean, this has already been a trend as well with retail going online. So what, how do you think those retail spaces will be repurposed? I mean, some of them are located in prime locations. Yes, I think one of the big themes in commercial real estate will be repurposing vacant retail. Millions of square feet of new retail space are coming on stream. Uh, and uh, this is an exciting opportunity for developers to repurpose and readapt this space. A lot of the space is some of the most highly coveted, is highly desirable commercial real estate in America because it's close to a major transportation corridor. There's plenty of parking spaces. A lot of these vacant malls and grocery stores have open architecture, which reduces repurposing construction costs. So that's really a very enticing formula for developers to go in and readapt this space. And of course, Amazon, once again, is leading the way. Uh, we're seeing them uh, you know, announce new partnerships with Kohl's. Uh, there's talks about them doing business with Simon Property Group okay, to, to help you know, repurpose a lot of this vacant space. That's very exciting. And I think that the message to the economic development community is to begin inventorying vacant retail space and also retail space that they expect to be vacant in the next 18 months or so. Because these developers are out there looking for opportunities that want to quickly go in and repurpose and do either a last mile distribution center or present this as an option for a you know, Amazon or a Walmart. Yeah, I mean, we, we really learned what businesses are essential, right, over the last few months. And you had mentioned that the first responders were those who were working, right, in the grocery stores and keeping things going, keeping America fed. Uh, do you see grocery stores going away? I mean, it sure doesn't seem like it. It seems like there'll be more partnerships like we see with, with Whole Foods and Amazon. Well, that's a great theme that you mentioned, and that's a, a great takeaway from the COVID-19 epidemic here, and that the calls for a living wage were becoming a mainstream a talking point prior to COVID-19. Now, there, there's bipartisan support to promote minimum wage increases uh, throughout the 50 states because we see just how vital truck drivers are and grocery store clerks and essential workers. So we expect that this to provide momentum for new minimum wage increases throughout the country. Wow. Which states do you think will take longer to recover from coronavirus economy? What states that are in a fiscal crisis? I mean, California, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and Illinois were in a fiscal nightmare prior to COVID-19. Now there's a demand for you know, billions of dollars of new revenue. And that's, that's trouble. I mean, job creators are fleeing in record numbers to lower tax, lower cost options. So I would identify you know, New York as a real trouble spot in particular. Uh, and when you factor in the social unrest and soaring crime rates, uh, there's really a need for new leadership in Manhattan. I think Manhattan can come back, but it's going to take real leadership. It's going to take more than marketing gimmicks. It's going to take more than a, a Jerry Seinfeld op-ed to turn around Manhattan. And other cities around the country like Houston and Austin and Miami and Raleigh and Charlotte are really looking at and targeting New York business and wealth uh, and making a case, you know, move to us. That, that's what they're saying, and, and we're seeing that play out. Well, again, you know, you take the playbook from the states that have had success, and Texas certainly has had success doing exactly that. 
the states following are going to attract more business as well. It's amazing to me that certain states, the one I live in, is doing the opposite, raising taxes and <laughs> making it more and more difficult to do business. So I don't know why businesses would stay. Right. And I think Prop 13 is a real under the radar screen narrative here. And I think people have been talking more about the wealth tax, the proposed Seattle style head tax. But our clients are really, really concerned about a reversal of Prop 13. Uh, one of the few reasons companies could justify a California presence based upon the tax calculations was because of Prop 13. So this is a real uh, a dangerous time for, for California. And you know, California lawmakers, we use the expression, they're like swarming sharks in a bloody feeding frenzy now. And they're just fighting with each other to find new tax uh, targets to, to generate revenue. And that's going to continue this out-migration of companies. And this is a blessing for, again, for Texas and Florida and the Carolinas and neighboring states like Nevada and, and of course, Arizona and Utah. Now, Reno is well-positioned in particular to continue its really impressive growth with respect to IT and a lot of the exciting things that, that are happening there. Good news, because we've got two subdivisions there. So I like hearing that. All right. Well, John, you know, as, as always, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Any last comments for our listeners on what they can look forward to for the remainder of 2020? I look forward to a vaccine. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. But in the meantime, uh, this economy is rebounding. It is recovering. And it, it'll be the states that have the fundamentals in place. Low taxes, low operating costs, a pro-growth policy structure. These are the states that will be the first to emerge from, from the uh, economic downturn. Very good. All right. Well, we'll bring you back in six months and it'll be a different world then. I look forward to uh, talking to you about it then. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. At realwealth.com, we have a list of metros that we think will rebound the fastest. And there's lots of data there that we share with you for free. All you have to do is join. And you'll also find referrals to property managers and real estate agents and companies that provide turnkey rental properties in emerging markets in the U.S. You can join at realwealthshow.com. 